Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Stand Down Podcast. I'm Daniel Reskin, your ex and former comedian host, figuring out the love-hate relationship of stand-up comedian and talking to those stand-ups who have stood down. Today on the show, we have got Jake Lloyd Bacon, who I knew as Jake Lloyd when he did comedy. Uh, Now we're going to see all the different changes that have happened. This is someone I've known online entirely for about 11 years now, which, you know, I've been doing comedy almost 14, 15, if you count the pandemic or not. Uh, So comedy, you make a lot of relationships and sometimes you never even meet the people you know, but I could always tell he was kind of, I would like appreciated what he was doing. He was doing stuff that I wanted to do. He was producing stuff. He wasn't just doing comedy. He was writing, producing, and doing all sorts of other projects. So, I'm curious to see how that fits in with stand-up, and sometimes stand-up is just another thing that we do. It's not the end-all, be-all. So we will see today in our interview with Jake Lloyd Bacon. Thanks for being here, everybody. All right, and here we are with Jake Lloyd, as I know him, Jake Lloyd Bacon. I'm not yes. sure. We'll get to the bottom of that and more. <laughs> Welcome, Jake. How's it going, Daniel? Long time, no anything, really. Yeah, it's so it's been so long that I don't know whether you prefer to be called Daniel or Dan. Uh I'm a I'm a Daniel man. You're a are a Daniel man. All my, right, that's fair. My mom said you got a full name. Why don't you roll it out? You know, roll the whole I, thing out. I respect that. Um as you just alluded to, uh I've recently had to decide to roll out my whole name. So I'm uh, I uh you know, I understand. So you've been hiding the bacon from us in the stand-up world. Yeah, you know, it's it's a lot. The you know, uh, I never used my my last name professionally uh, because of the litany of personal and daddy issues that I have. <laughs> um, and it's just after not just stand up for all those years, but as an actor, as a filmmaker, as just an entertainer of any kind, you know, having uh, a name that is already well known for that shitty because that shitty star wars kid from episode one his name is jake lloyd uh-huh. on top of that there's an australian rugby player like a or like australian rules rugby player named jake lloyd who is also very popular and then oh so recently did i discover a fucking whack job conservative youtube QAnon pundit named jake lloyd so wow. and he's got like the youtube and i'm just like you know what it's it's I still struggle with owning my last name. I still struggle with the daddy issue of it all. But when it comes down to it, like I I would rather be the one and only Jake Lloyd Bacon than one of the seven Jake Lloyds. Ooh, the dubious um, Jake Lloyds. Yeah. Yeah. And now and now I I I have just changed the question that people ask because the question that people used to ask is, Are you the kid from Star Wars? Like that was the most direct question because we haven't seen him in a while um and like if i was out in public and people would see the name jake Lloyd, they'd be like oh well you you you're not they would do that thing you know that like little anakin um and so obviously the answer was like i'm seven years older than that kid clearly no um but now the question is just going to be back to the question that i received my entire childhood which is are you related to kevin bacon Mm. of which i will universally answer yes the answer is no but i will always answer it yes you're like uncle kev i am sure but, yeah. uh, I imagine. Um, 
Uncle Kev, Uncle Kev and I. Yeah, he's a he's a good guy. Interesting. And then and quickly, like comedy is such like a silly uh, world where having a punchy name might help. You, you never thought of like Jake Bacon. You or, know, I, mean, I know you didn't. I know you didn't want the baconness. That's for the other thing. reasons. It's such a good punch, name. You know that bacon it's, punch. Like people love bacon, the food. It's fin- It's such a good name for me to not have used for all these years, <laughs> but I just, you know, listen, emotional baggage, uh, it can weigh a lot and, uh, that's what it comes down to. But yeah, I mean, even just my yeah. first and last, even without using my middle Jake Bacon is it's, it's not, you have this sort of rhyming nature of the ache sound in there. Like it's, uh, it's such a good name, but alas now, but then when I decided to use my full name, of course, now I've got 20 years worth of work that I've done under Jake Lloyd. That I can't, I feel like going from Jake Lloyd to Jake Bacon was, was, you know, too big. So now I'm like, oh, I'll just use the whole, now I'm in the three name club. Right. Welcome to talking about names with Daniel Reskin and Jake Lloyd Bacon. Uh, What's in a name? We'll get away. into whether being able to distance yourself from your old stand-up persona is a good thing or, a, you know, ultimately, tru- you know, sure. troubling thing for the work you're doing and the show business and all the projects. But before we get there, sure. let's do a little background for the people. Um a little bit about, you know, on a normal comedy podcast, you want your origin story. In this case, we only want your origin story so that we can get to uh, the walking away story. Sure. Which is Um, our story here. Yeah, so I I was one of those uh, poorly directioned youths where I, you know, as a teenager, I wanted to be an actor and I wanted to be a rock star, and I wanted to be a stand-up comic, and I wanted to be a professional wrestler, and I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be everything. Um, and uh, how do you do any one of those things? Like, no one told me how to do any one of those things, so I was just doing them all a little bit at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it really, the stand-up was actually the last of them to come because... Uh, it wasn't until like the first time I ever tried stand up was on Long Island, uh, Governor's Comedy Cabaret, uh, at an open mic there, um, and it was like I didn't do it again then for like you know three months. It wasn't the sort of thing that I immediately was like I got to do this right now. What year was this? Um, or how old were you? And it was because I was performing in bands. Okay. And so I was doing shtick as a musician, you know, like, and so. Yeah, I kind of was getting my fill that way. And it wasn't until really I left New York uh, and I couldn't keep a band together that I realized like, oh, I can still get up on stage and get the same reward as playing in bands. I'll just cut the songs out and just do the dumb jokes (laughs) that I was doing. The other people, the instruments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, When was this around? So I, I, my very first time I ever did stand up, I want to say it was 2002 was my very first time I ever tried at the open mic. And then like, I would do it sporadically, very sporadically from 2002 to 2004, moved to Florida, uh, uh, 2005, like end of 2004, 2005, I think it was. And then that's when I, that's when I dove head first into standup. Um, and I was, and then I would start doing it regularly. Week Here in week. Florida. Um, so my, I first moved to Pensacola. I lived in Pensacola for a year. Um, hot comedy town there. Oh boy. Um, anybody here in the military? Uh, that's how you start. That's the only way you can start any set in Pensacola, Florida. Um, uh, but then I would end up in Tampa where, uh, I believe you and I crossed paths originally. Yes. So, uh, Tampa is where I, I think I, 
I would say Tampa is where I started seriously doing stand-up, even though I had like dipped my toe in it for years prior. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, uh, uh, I took a job at the improv work in the booth and I, you know, from there just kind of ingrained myself into the, the, the community down in, in, in Tampa. Um, which, you know, I, I still did. I never fit in. <laughs> I was there, I was doing it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's sort of how it started. And, you know, I was, uh, I was very lucky enough to, uh, have been appealing to a small group of headliners and they were exclusively headliners who I noticed were not party people who were not drinkers who were not, you know, like, so for example, uh, Jim Gaffigan came through and, uh, you know, liked that I didn't drink. Um, and so Good. I think at the time he had, uh, Taylor Williamson with him and, uh, who also was just too young. Literally. I don't even think it was of age at the time. <laughs> And so he was like, he, he, they, they, he brought me along and did a few more dates beyond the week that they came through. So I was really lucky in that sense to like have comics who would come through and be like, oh, he's right. not one of the alcoholic standups in Tampa. Did he force um, you to like do a bunch of Hot Pockets and Donuts or something? Uh, like, <laughs> must have been something. Um, there were, it was a lot of brunches, uh-huh. a lot of big brunches with Gaffigan. But Tom Wilson was another guy. Who... You're like other comics have alcoholism. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> like... It's, it is a thing. Like, so I, I don't drink. I've, I've never uh, been a drinker and, uh, I, that I think it was such a hindrance in the world of stand up for me. Interesting. Um, it's a huge hindrance. And then there's tiny little percentage. It was like, yeah, but you know, Tom Wilson, like, you know, who I think was just sober was so thrilled to have a, a young comic who could open for him, who like he didn't have to worry about and who also he can hang out with. Cause that was right. the thing too is they you know the the headliners who came through who weren't into like just hanging out at the bar until two in the morning like they wanted someone to hang out with too and i was like yeah right. uh, well, that's a cool niche to fill that's it like sounds the, so sad when i talk over. about it out loud <laughs> yeah it's clean niche not even of clean comedy but of no people doing the comedy yeah. but but yeah that's that's the origin story from there and and i you know i think that in in tampa I don't know. I hate to say that I hate the cliche that like I became a big fish in a small pond because I, I didn't become a big fish. I became like a, a a medium sized fish who was consistent and who I, at least I assumed people liked enough to keep me working, you know? Yeah, you're more like a specialized fish that like evolved <laughs> some sort of interesting mechanism to like feed <laughs> itself without having to just be a big old shark. Sure. Um, or, or I don't know if it was, uh, as, uh, as evolutionary necessary, I might've just been the third eye fish from Springfield. It might've just been like something toxic <laughs> in the water. The mutation for sure. <laughs> so you did comedy and cause I, I started in Tampa too. And I'm trying to, man, I'm trying to think back to where our paths crossed. Cause I Tampa, Tampa improv. I think was... the very first time I ever saw you might've been at a competition, might've been at a joke off maybe. Wow. Or I think the first time I ever saw you, cause we did not, I don't believe that we were in the same, like, go to open mics and go to showcase show crowd. Yeah, I was in Tampa. I was very much it was my first year in comedy. And I like I didn't have a finger on like the actual scene. I couldn't find like what was I think the improv thing was like in between for a second and it was just starting up or 
But anyway, I got caught up in Side Splitters, the club out in. Uh, yep, you know, I know B, all about Side Splitters. The B Club. You, I mean, you know Listen, about the Side Splitters. That, but, okay, that yeah. Side Splitters, first off, if you don't start a stand up show with Earth, Wind, and Fire, you're doing it wrong. Okay. <laughs> that is the best opening. Good God, I love that. Um, but, uh, but here's the thing is that I love that room so much could not stand how inconsistent those audiences were but that's also i think just florida because you never know whether it's you know biker night or whether it's right you know the cool hip comedy nerds showing up or if it's just like the drunken like it's such a god florida is the most bizarre audience they gave away comedy. free tickets like oh, water. Side, so it was pretty yeah. much just like they tried to fill the room up to sell their pretzels and stuff. Nobody gave a crap who you were on stage. <laughs> Make us laugh, nerd. Yeah, that was that was the side. It was a great low pressure environment for me, but but yeah, it I can was. see how it was just like this weird junkyard of comedy in a way. Like there was a lot of great stuff happening, but it was they yeah, their own and, like scrappy a B club, you know. Right. And there were a lot of great comics too that were working at the time. And that's I feel like my big struggle in in all of comedy, it doesn't matter where I was, uh, whether it was when I was like really starting, starting in New York, just meeting the other people doing stand up, um, or in Florida, when I think it was at my thickest of doing it, if that makes sense, like my like doing it every freaking night. And then I moved out to LA in 2009 and I continued to do it just as much as I was doing it in, in Florida, but obviously you moved to a new city as much as I had contacts you're still just starting over like you know i can get booked on showcase shows easily enough but you're still trying to you know ingrain yourself into a completely new community right and that that that's the universal problem it's the universal problem that i think i've i've had i've talked about it in therapy quite a bit because it's if if you if it's the same problem everywhere you go it's likely not other people it's likely you um and right. i acknowledge that like never able to find a never able to find a family never able to find a crowd never able to find that little core group of people who you oh. are i always felt like there was this core group of people that i knew and they were all cool with me but i wasn't in their group then there was this little group of people i knew that i knew them they knew me i was cool with them but i wasn't in the group I was, i'm always like somebody's distant cousin from out of town it's very high school it's very like oh yeah i'm friends with the jocks and i'm friends with the cheerleader i'm friends with the nerds but i'm not i don't really fit into that's interesting. So you never feel like you had your comedy click of like your main, nope. your main core little group of comics, no matter right. what city you were in. Because um, I didn't have that in Tampa, but I did find it in Miami, and see, and and in Denver to an extent. But I feel like I and I feel like a lot of it also came down to com comedy style because, hmm. like in mainstream comedy rules Florida, right? Like, and when I say mainstream, I mean like like traditional what what modern mainstream is is actually a little bit different than it was 15 20 years ago um so like it's 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 usually crass it's usually blue blue humor but it's uh it's also very much like this is the world we live in and this is our shared experience it's it's social commentary it's acknowledgments that sort of stuff and i always felt like the kind of comedy that i liked leaned more alternative leaned more towards the alternative comedy that just was not popular in florida like alternative comedy in florida there wasn't any um but i also never felt alternative enough to fit in at like largo when i moved out to california when we got to los angeles like i wasn't i wasn't alt enough to be you know hanging out uh you know with the garfunkel and oats crowd you know like i 
I, I just, I never, I don't know, I can never, I can just can never find it. I can never find that groove. I always, always sort of live somewhere in the middle. And maybe that's just my excuse. Maybe that's just like the thing that I told myself because I just didn't fit maybe in people anywhere. been begging you to come hang and you've just been like, no, they don't I, like me. No, I mean, know, I, it, comedy's it, full it, of stuff like that. And I can totally relate. And it might be that. It might have been just all of my own personal hangups. Um, hell, it might have just been my, you mentioned it like high school. It might have just been all of my hangups from my youth and my adolescent that just lingered over because the entertainment industry and yes, stand up in at its core is very much high school. But, yeah. but that's the idea. The thing is that when I started doing stand up, like I said, I, uh, the first time on, on Long Island, the first stand up I ever saw, I think the first comic I ever saw live, I think was Bob Kelly, Robert Kelly. And, Robert um, Kelly. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was the very first. Um, and then I think, uh, Ted Alexandro was, was next ish. And like, so I, that was sort of like my comedy school was like those guys, but I hung out at, uh, at invite them up all the time. Do you know that show? That's like the big New York city alt show. That's like, uh, Bobby Tisdale and Eugene Merman started. And that's where names like Aziz Ansari and Dimitri Martin and Mike Berbiglia and like wow. that whole group of comics, you know, uh, uh, David Cross, who was already a huge star, but like he would come down and he would do sets or, or he would do like almost sketches really. Um, uh, John Glazer, like that whole group. I was the kid who, when I learned, when I figured out that I could just get on a train and go to New York by myself, like there's a certain weird thing about growing up on Long Island is you don't realize that's a thing you can just do until like you get to a certain age like and it wasn't until it was late it wasn't until i turned like 20 or 21 that i realized like oh i can just go to the city like on my like i could just get a ticket pay the Weird, right this yeah. 15 bucks go and to go to the city famous influential mecca of yeah comedy. and it's a 30 minute train ride like it's not it's not a thing but it's growing up kind of living outside of new york going to the city was kind of a thing we all did mm -hmm. um and it wasn't until like that sort of clicked with me. I was I was a late. I was just I'm not a bright person. But it wasn't until I clicked with me that I was like, oh, I could go see shows, not just stand up. I can go see rock shows. I can go to clubs and see live music. There was this one uh, venue called the Lemon that I don't even know how long it was open for. I felt like it was open and closed in the same week. Um, but they had such awesome like singer songwriter shows. But then they also had like two nights that were stand up nights, and it was all of those alternate comedy people. I was the wallflower there. I was like, you know, the, the 20, the 19, 20 year old sitting up against the wall in the corner, like that. I would say hi to everybody. And like, people like would notice me because I was there all the time. <laughs> I was at every show. Right. Um, but for whatever reason, I never like dipped my toe into like that world of, uh, of comedy, that sort of alternate stand up world. And, and which is weird because that's sort of, I think what my, my comedy in Florida leaned more towards it leaned more towards like stuff that, that New York style. Interesting. Yeah. Or just stuff that wasn't like typical setup punchline laugh out loud. It was more just like yeah, odd. Like I enjoy, I, I never mind being a little odd. I never mind silence on stage and yeah. embracing like the awkward moment. And in Tampa, Florida, that should never flew. It's true. Yeah. I mean, take going to Florida might've been like traveling back in time comedically five or 10 years. And, and you really have to find those, rooms in oh, florida yeah. like luckily the room i got to run in miami became like the smart weird room where you tried nonsense um challenge you but challenge you had to things. find those places or cultivate them and um it's interesting that like you know i think we we all have to dip our toes in the water the same way like you being in new york 
it's easy to regret and look back and be like, I should have just jumped up on stage back God, then. Yeah, not doing stand-up in New York City regularly is like, it, it's such a regret of mine. It is just such a, I mean, because honestly, I don't know that I ever would have moved to Florida had I started doing that. Right. Like, I ended up in Florida for girls. You know, it was, I... I moved down the Tam- I moved down to Pensacola because of a, a girl situation, and then I ended up in in Tampa because that's where my cousin lived. So I was just supposed to be crashing with him for like a couple months. Ooh. Met a girl at the improv. Met a waitress at the improv. Fell in love madly, head over heels. You know, was gonna get married, all that nonsense, and ended up staying out in Tampa for you know three or four more years than I intended to right. before coming to Los Angeles. Now, I that and that was also an odd thing because you know I came out to L.A. and I really a lot like I, my biggest regret really is not like I should have just went back to New York. I should after the shit in Pensacola f- flopped, should have just went back to New York and just went back and do stand up in uh, in 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 the city. But you know, like I said, I always did have more than the one thing. Like I always wanted to be exactly. an actor. Like I was always doing even when I was doing stand up in in Tampa. I was acting. I was in every, you know, student film at USF and you and all the University of Tampa and like all like I was just, you know, I was still trying. I was in like shitty local commercials in Florida and that sort of stuff. Honestly, like you were a big like, I guess, an inspiration in a way, because when I met you, uh, you were this you were Jake Lloyd, doer of things. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god right website right the website do of things wow i can't believe you remember that and i was just you know i was getting my beak wet on stand-up trying to wrap my head around that but you were doing all these things that i eventually would go on to learn and do yeah. with production and acting and like sure. you know here in denver i'm doing a whole bunch of local commercials that kind of crap and i did a little yeah, awesome. but back in tampa i was like i want to do what this guy's doing like i like the fact that he's doing so many different things and even though I've kicked myself a million times being like, if I had just focused on stand up a hundred percent, I'd be doing it right now. Man, but it's such a mind. The that's the struggle. And I feel like I have like artistic ADD in that sense where, man, I, I always use the term like, uh, you know, you know, Jack of all trades, master of none when it comes to all of the things that I do. And, uh, m- all of my most successful friends, like they just figured out at like 22, like, I'm just going to do stand-up. I'm just going to act. I'm just going not to, not even art stuff. Like, I'm just going to fucking concentrate on starting this tech company or I'm going to start, I'm going to start an insurance. Like, you know, even if it's not entertainment or arts related, they just did the one thing. And I often don't wonder if I didn't shoot myself in the foot by having more than one dream and having more than one goal and having more than one, like, you know, but... I can play devil's advocate with myself in the fact that like, you know, how many people are like you and I who can look, you know, who maybe in 30 years from now when we're foot in the grave can look back and be like, you know, look at all the shit that I did. Look at all the stuff I tried, even if we didn't succeed at it or whatever you define success as. Because there's a lot of things that I did that, you know, I as far as I'm concerned, I was a successful musician. Did I ever get a massive record deal? No. Then do, do, do millions of people listen to my music? No. But did I tour with bands that I loved for years and also make music that I was proud of and meet people and have the fucking blast of, you know, have like, mm-hmm. like that's a success for me. And like, so yeah. You got to define that success. Yeah. Exactly. And even though I stopped doing that and I don't play in bands anymore and I do, I get, you know what it is? is so I run, I run a, a, a podcast network 
And every time like we do a, a new show or something pops up and I need to like write a theme for something or do music, I'm always like, yes, there we go. I get to like, you know, I get to create music for, you know, a, a one minute long introduction. And that's like right. how I flex that little muscle. But, but anyways, like, yeah, well, yeah, I, mean, I think, I think 30 tough. years from now, had you just plugged away and stand up, you could look back and be like, there were so many things I wanted to try that I didn't even yeah. get to do. Like, yeah, that's true. I think it's just accepting the type of person you are and being like, as much as I understand that concentrated effort can yield rewards, like that's not who I am. I want to do all these, I want to grow all these different plants. And if somehow right. the, the vines merge together into a beautiful structure one day, right. You know, that, that's the, the kind of success I think that feels good when you want to, I mean, stand up can be limiting. That's what I realized, like keeping the stand up hat on my head so tight for so long prevented me from exploring other parts of myself, my artistic capabilities, what I would let like getting doing comedy is such a get out of your comfort zone thing until yeah. comedy becomes your comfort zone and keeps oh, you from getting out of that. When you when you start dreading stage time instead of being excited for stage time, oh man, that's that's a tough spot to be in. Well, I've, I've, that was always a fine line for me. There was yeah. always sure well you know what i mean i mean outside of the day-to-day -day, i'm a comic why am i a comic thing i mean more so i mean more so when it starts feeling like work not like it's it, you're always dreading it because you're always going i'm awful nobody likes me why am i doing this to myself that's that's a given. other side of it too yes i get it. but uh but but i meant more so like the you know the like when it starts feeling Last like a joy. grind yeah exactly exactly when it no longer sparks joy like marie kondo um but uh but yeah, I don't know. And then there's also there's also the thing too about like we all you know again going back to like almost like defining success is I think that there are a ton of uh, stand-ups uh, or actors or musicians who like you know quote got famous or whatever you want to call it they succeeded at the thing that they did and then they also from their branch out and do all these other things. And you go, oh, well, because they can do that because they can like flex their muscle like they, you know, they, they were, you know, uh, I'm trying to think about Michael Chiklis is a huge, successful actor. And so he can go do a jazz album. Oh, my God. You hear that? It just started the hell insanely outside. Sorry you to interrupt. No better than to mention Michael Chiklis's name and not expect the wrath of the gods. <laughs> um, man, it's hailing like a mother. Isn't uh, the, guy from, really um, the guy who plays... Uh... Hawkeye on the Hawkeye. Event. Yep. He's also like Renner. a musician. Uh, yep. Yep. Exactly. Uh, my uncle, Kevin Bacon and the Bacon right. brothers. Uh, but yeah. So, you know. so seeing comedy is like, uh, cause a lot of comics, they get to a certain point in comedy and they're like, Oh, thank God. I don't have to do this anymore. I can go <laughs> act. I can go write. Right. I can go. Right. Well, I can do it on my terms rather. So it is weird though. And this is where I'm such a hypocrite. Um, but maybe not, maybe, maybe I'm just, uh, again, I'll play devil's advocate for myself here is, the, for me, like the beginning of the end was really moving to Los Angeles and not being able to find my ride or dies, not being able to find uh, the comics in L.A. that I fit in with because it not not to turn this into just like shit on communities podcast. But, uh, man, the people that I found myself surrounded by in L.A. were the furthest thing from comics that I've ever met. Um, the amount of LA comedians who are just actors who agents told them they were funny, so they should do stand up because it would help their acting career 
or just like comics who were I don't think you need to be a riot off stage in order to be a good stand up or to be like a stand up, right? But if if like you off stage don't have a comedic like edge to your personality in some way, shape, or form, I tend to I tend to just not get along. Like I'm kind of a ball buster, and I think that's like sort of the New Yorker in me. That's like hanging around guys, you know, lingering around in the corner of uh, of guys like you know Robert Kelly and Ted Alexandro, and like that you know Todd Barry. Like watching these people in New York, I feel like that kind of bled into a little bit, and I'm kind of a ball buster and. And I feel like the the sensitivity level in Los Angeles stand up, at least the group that I found myself in, I just didn't like the people I was around. So it's not like you do stand up to hang out with friends, and to like you know do fun shows together and tell jokes and work with each other. Like as much as the stand up crowds in Florida are weird, I actually found like a lot of respect and good writing partners in Florida. I was living there, like. You know, uh, he's actually out here now doing stand-up. He's still doing it. Sandro Iocano, I think is his last name. Yeah, Sandro. Yeah, Yocolano, yeah. I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah, he was yeah. One of my first comedy friends in Tampa. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was in that group. Um, one of my favorite writing partners from Tampa. It was short-lived because he ended up moving to Washington State. But uh, uh, Courtney Shane Williams, he was just like such a good writing partner because he, I don't know, like there was just there was like a comedy brain. I don't know how else to put it, but there's a comedy brain. Right. And I felt like the stand-ups in L.A. that I was around don't have comedy brain. They have entertainment industry brain. Naked. They have actor brain or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Um, That's and, a- man, it was tough to just be at – I didn't feel at home with any of the people that I was working with. And yeah. I didn't enjoy doing the shows. I felt like I was – I don't know. I just I kind of just found myself being like unhappy with the people I was around and, and just kind of generally cranky at everybody. And this also, it should not be stated the way that your personal lives also affect this shit. Cause it should be known that when I moved to Flo- to, to, to Los Angeles from Florida, the girl I thought I was going to marry that was supposed to come with me ended up leaving me hanging after three or four months of living out here. I got the phone call that said like, I'm not coming. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making the move with you, which was the right. whole plan. Damn. And like, so who knows like how my headspace didn't also just play into my general disdain for everything that I was doing, whether it's stand up, acting, trying to get my own film projects together. Like who knows if that was not just a big part of the beginning of the end for me. Hmm. I definitely know that I lost a lot of material because I did a lot of material about our relationship and I, I'm a bad liar on stage. Like I'm, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of of like the Brian Posehn school where like, you know, he tells that story about how he, uh, talks about his, his dad, uh, like being an alcoholic and some small little story. And somebody says like, Oh, you should change that to something different. Cause it'll admit it'll, it'll, it'll just be funnier. It'll be able to set up. And he goes like, yeah, but that's not what happened. Like that's, and I, I that always sort of stuck with me. So like, when I moved out here, all the material I did about my happy, incredible relationship that I was in about meeting the woman of my dreams and making it. And like, she, I like, I didn't deserve her. Like a lot of my shtick was that like, I'm this awkward nerd. And she was like this, you know, super hot. Like we were the couple that you saw in the mall and looked and went really him. Like that was a lot of my, my angle. And I couldn't do that material anymore. I didn't feel it. Cause my material ended up being like, if I would do that, I would have to then end it with, well, that relationship's over. I just wanted to do that material. And I don't know, it, it that even got a little laugh, but it wasn't, it, I don't know, it started to not feel like 
That's so no. funny. I've seen um, that a whole bunch. Yeah, the uh, and you didn't think about like recouching it in a way that like I, I did. <laughs> I definitely did. Right. I turned a lot, of, and again, I I did get material out of the heartbreak, but it became unfun. It became cynical. It became like it became not who I liked being on stage. It became not like, you know. My favorite stand-ups are the people who you feel like you're getting the most legitimate version of them. But there's a big similarity between like the best wrestlers and the best stand-up comics. It's like your real personality just turned up to eleven, you know, like whoever you really are, but a little bit more than that. Uh-huh. Um, and I kind of I feel like in life I I have a a somewhat cynical public persona because of I think of my podcast network and because like I I lay on the like in my group of friends and the people that I'm around my with because I have the sort of like uh <laughs> crotchety Long Islander like that that New York sort of like uh what are you doing every I have a problem with everything like I'm very blab I get I get called Larry David a lot I get compared to him quite a bit so but I so I lay that on a little extra thick you know like um but the reality is is who I really am I think is a little bit more goofy I'm very optimistic I'm very I'm a big risk taker like hell that's you know, I, I'm, you know, ter- I'm turning 38 in like a couple days here, uh, pushing 40. And like, I'm still just doing the same shit that I've done since I was 20 years old. Um, and it's because I'm an optimistic guy. Like, I like to think that I'm a, a, a zany, positive dude. And man, I definitely stopped becoming that after the move to, to L.A. So that that might have been part of it. It might have been in part of that. But do you think that you like robed yourself up in this kind of spiky ball bustery exterior um as like either a vehicle or a defense mechanism or both to kind of oh that that is a that's that extends so far beyond just stand up that's just jake <laughs> as a human yeah that's something i've done since i was a child right. um uh, yeah since i was a child i had i had so many i had <laughs> look at me talking past tense like i've improved You're perfectly um fine now I, I'm more aware of them now. Doesn't mean they're gone. Uh, working through it, we're doing it together, folks. Um, but you know, it's so many, so many insecurity issues, so many like issues about uh, my role as a man in modern society, and 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 like, um, you know, uh, I, the whole reason the name thing. Like, I have these massive daddy issues. Dad took off before I was born. Lived with a mom who wasn't entirely always honest, uh, and who. As much as she did a great job raising me as a single mom, I still then have problems with, you know what I mean? So, like, uh, you know, my siblings are from different parents, so I'm technically an only child, but I have seven siblings. Um, I've just, like, I've lived my whole life. Oh, like, you should like, stand up. No. <laughs> you know what? That was part of it. Like, I, literally, that was part of it. People it was just sort that, of right? like, I never, I always felt like I was part of something, but I was the outcast of the something. And uh, I would take my insecurities and I'd project those onto other people's opinions of me, which probably weren't even true. And I would, like you said, man, roam myself up on a spiky ball. Um, but you know what, though? I, I more, uh, uh, more, more porcupine than than armadillo, uh, because there was also offense there. You could shoot out the spines. Yes, exactly. There you go. I was homeward bound, spine and chance in the cheek. Was that his name? (laughs) The the dull dog homeward bound? Um, But, you know, so there is, I think that definitely also lent itself to my issues, you know, in in stand-up. But that's just also something that I've dealt with my entire professional life and all of the arts and everything I've ever done. Um, But I'm aware of it. 
I'm aware of it. And I, you know, like that's something that I've, I, I've tried to improve through the years. And also I do, I do feel like the people who know me best don't get any of that. Like it's a, it's a weird wall. Um, like I'm the, I'm that person who's just like the people who like really know me and the people who kind of know me, if they talk about who I am as a person, two completely different people, like literally they could be talking about two completely wow. different individuals. I, my, a good buddy of mine, uh, a, he's a, he's a, a great filmmaker and uh, he works in the industry out here. His name is Matt Hingstman. He does uh he does the D and D podcast that I do with me. He once gave me, he once told me the best description of myself. And that was like, you're the guy that people thinks hate him. Meaning like, like Daniel, you would think I hate you yet. I would be the only person who showed up to help you move. Like that's the, okay. that's the best description I feel of. Yes. Okay. Uh, and there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that in, uh, in sort of my, you know, my relationships with, with other standups and other artists for sure. But yeah. I digress. I feel like we went on a big tangent there, but yeah, no, that's emotional problems. It's, it's all tying into it. Um, yeah, sure. So, so then going from New York where you kind of, you were getting, you were doing all sorts of stuff, but interested right. in standup. Right. Life brought you to Tampa where you really started to dive into standup. Yeah. Life brought you to LA, mm -hmm. which started to really ruin standup and your experience <laughs> little, in it. A little bit. So what brought you to the point where you're like, I'm done. So here's the thing. And I don't know, maybe I'm uh, maybe, which do you maybe we, about? yeah, maybe we've just recorded however long we've been chatting and I'm not a good guest for the show because I never quit standup. It never, I never went like, that's it. Yeah. I'm done. I went from, you know, moving out here and doing six nights a week to doing three nights a week to doing two nights every week to doing once every other week to doing once a month to doing once every three months to doing once every six months. <laughs> like it just, it became, it just slowly started to teeter. I think the thing is it became less of a priority. That's mm. what it was. Um, uh, and uh, the, it ebbs and flows. Uh, uh, my my better half here, Alexandra, she she constantly uh, tells me like, why don't you just go do stand up again? Because she feels like it is the era of my life that uh, she says I talk the most fondly about, as far as like the joy that it brought me and like my love for what. Because I love I love stand up. I still to this day love stand up. I you know what I mean? Like I watch every new special that comes out. I analyze it. I I'm still learning from it. I still write. I still, you know, I still in my phone, in the notes app, like writing bits. And, and if I come up with something, that's a good premise because, you know, that's not to say that it's not going to end up in a feature of mine or, you know, a movie, you know what I mean? But like, I'm, I'm still always thinking and always writing. Um, yeah. it, for me, I think it was definitely that I started taking my acting career more seriously and time when you, if you again if you really want to succeed in this as a stand-up like you got to put in those nights you got to put in the, the those night to night things so one i started concentrating more in on on my acting career and then i started making my own stuff i actually started doing that in florida i made my first short film in florida um and i moved out to la thinking like oh i don't have to do that again because i'm gonna get cast in everything and of course you know that doesn't happen and i realized like all right well i also have this gift to be able to make something and to see it through fruition and i'm not the best writer and i'm not the best director but I can get a project done and I know that the project will be watchable. And, and it, you know, I, I, I feel like being an actor on film school sets to which I'm not a student of that school taught me so much more than if I would have went to film school. Yeah. Um, 
Totally. You see and, so many people do it wrong and then get oh, instructed yeah. on how to do it right in yeah. real time. And, and I have no emotional investment in it. So I can't, like the students, they think they're right. Even when the, they're told or they see that it's bad, they still think it's the best thing they ever, the best thing in the world because they're, they're dumb 17 year old students, 18 year old, you know what I mean? Or 18, 19, however mm -hmm. old you are in college. Uh, I didn't go. Um, but anyways, uh, so I was concentrating more on that out here and, and, and I was just doing other things that kind of just ebbed and flowed. And also I just like, I, <laughs> I also like, I, I realized that when I was living in Florida, I got stage time close to where I lived and I could travel. Even if I wasn't traveling far out of state, because you know, Tampa's central Florida, it takes a while to get out of the state just to just to get out of it. It's, you know, you're right down there. So like, but even if I was doing dates in Jacksonville or if I was doing dates like, you know, like a, a Gainesville, like you could still travel and do road gigs. Um, uh, but then I moved out to L.A. and like, man, the battle for stage time out here was real. My the first few nights that I got booked at the improv here, it, that's the one thing that was nice about working at the improv in Tampa was that the the manager of that club bob was just the he was the nicest guy he's a he's a total character he's an absolute muppet of a human being hmm. he's he's literally just a tweak from south park grown up just like coffee and just like ah like he's very like but yeah but man i i really love that dude like he he was such a like he was not a bullshit artist he was just very like straight and to the point and when he when i told yeah when i told him i was moving out especially for a club manager or owner you know like uh when i told him i was moving out here he called up read out here and was just like hey i got a guy coming he's really funny he's you know he's got a future like i really wow. like him you should give him a shot and she literally uh you know she welcomed me with open arms and she was like hey like we help out our improv family and gave me a bunch of dates and i want to say the first three dates that i ever got at the improv out here i got bumped all three times oh shit <laughs> i got bumped um the first i think two times i got bumped by drew carey who was working on uh, material for a thing he was hosting, I think. And then, um, oh shit, who bumped me that, that last time? And it's cause like, you know, when you're a new guy in town, first off, you're getting the 1am spot anyway. Right. And so when someone comes and does 30, 40 minutes, that wasn't even supposed to be in the, the, you know, the showcase for the evening, you're gone. You and the, you and two people after or before you were both gone. Uh -huh. Um, so that became part of the grind. And obviously, yeah, I did find the small clubs and the small venues and, and, uh, but I never, again, Again, my fault. I never like, I never went and just tried to get into the alt scene. I never went and like, uh, you know, tried to get in at Largo or UCB or, or, yeah. Um, and and I don't know. I don't know why. I wish I could go back in time and tell myself to befriend better people. But alas, that's not how it worked. Time out. Time doesn't work um, that way. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so again, I'm like, if you're reminding me of so many things in mind. I'm like, damn, yeah. that's very similar to, you know, I could have made better friends here. I could have right. gone to Comedy Works, one of the best clubs in the right. country here in Denver. I could right. have gone I every went... Tuesday and haunted it, but I didn't, you know. Man, I, I, did, a, I did two weeks in Seattle um, at some point in between the, the Florida to L.A. area, somewhere in that area, like before I moved, because I also spent a little time in Vegas. And I did, I did shows in Vegas. My brother lives out there, so I'd stayed with him, and I was doing shows in Vegas, and it was you know, just trying to do stand up wherever I could. But man, when I went to Seattle, I did, I did like a, I did a couple dates at, I think it's called comedy underground. It's like a really beautiful club. I'm sure you've seen pictures of it. Even people who don't know it, mm -hmm. they see a photo of it and they go, Oh, I've seen stand up from this place. That's people have videoed. And that man, those crowds whole, I don't think I ever got reactions. Uh, like I did out of those crowds. Like those were my people. <laughs> I felt like, like they were just like, 
they were like, yeah, comic book nerd jokes that are about like trying to not because like, a lot of my material was about not fitting in. And again, some of it was sort of dry and weird. And, and, and I would do weird jokes about uh, people that showed up mystical figures who have showed up in my life. And it was sort of like metaphysical, you know, like uh, metaphors and just like comedy that wasn't like, oh, this is a true story this guy is telling. But I would tell it as if it was a true, true story. Right. Just weird shit. There's an audience weird, for that. It's true. Weird shit. And uh, they dug it. And man, I often think like, why didn't I just stay there for like seven months? Or <laughs> why did I right. leave? But you know Canal what? Bell. Yeah, a lot of people came out of Seattle. A, a part of it too, I think, is... I, I think I have a, at least part of the answer for why I didn't stay in some of those places or, or just do more of that. I think I don't have uh, uh, the road life mentality. Uh, as I said earlier, don't drink. I'm a Tito Toller. I don't drink. I don't, I'm not a, I'm not, a, I, don't, I have no problem with alcohol. I have no problem with uh, drugs. I'm a pro fucking weed. I want everybody to be high all the time. Um, Actually, I don't give me a second time. Hold on. <laughs> I don't, I, uh, I don't partake myself, but it has nothing to do. That has nothing to do with my opinions on it. But like when you're not that dude, it's hard to find like a crew. Yeah. It was nice being a DD. People uh, loved having me around to drive. That was the thing. But also I have like a drunk people tolerance. Uh huh. I'm the dude that leaves the party at 11, even (laughs) though it's going to go until one in the morning because, because people started at nine and by 11, everybody's blitz and I have nobody to talk to. (laughs) Um, I like it. They're like, so there, so there, there is a little bit of that in it, and then on top of that, like I'm, I'm like, at heart, I'm like a weird suburban dad in my soul. Like I'm like, I love my dogs, and I like being home, and I like you know, watching movies at night. And at some point, like the grind of like, oh man, I have to be out seven nights a week. It's bad for relationships. I couldn't, you know, like my the first couple girls that I met in LA, even though I was still just totally heartbroken over the Florida situation, like of her, like I still struggled to maintain any good positive relationship because what do you want to do tonight? I don't know. You want to come see my stand up show and then we'll hang out afterwards. Like that's God, that gets tiring. <laughs> and also when the show doesn't go well, you're screwed. You're not that's getting done. any, like, <laughs> yeah. like um, there was one or two times where I remember being like, getting booked on a show that I was surprised. Like, I was like, yeah, dude, I got a spot at the laugh factory. Like, yeah, this is great. And then like, a girl's like, Oh, what are you going to do? You want to hang out Friday night? And I was like, yeah, I actually have a spot at the laugh factory Friday night. You want to come to a stand up show? Blah, 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 blah. And then I would go and I'd fucking bomb or something. Or it just like, even if I wouldn't bomb, even if it, in my brain, I didn't, it didn't go as good as I wanted it to go. Or if I thought the person before or after me was just that much better. It's like, <laughs> I should want to date them now instead of me. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. Somehow that's how it works. <laughs> yeah, of course. Everybody knows the girls, the girls and or guys leave with the best girls and or guys uh, who are the funniest people that night. Everybody right. knows that. Get prom king and then push you into the lockers. We all know how it goes. But uh, I don't know what the hell I was talking about at that point. I lost train of thought. But yeah. um, uh, Oh, oh, I I was talking about like my my temperament and just like also like the lifestyle of it. Like I don't. The hang is something that comes up a lot. Yeah. um, The hang in comedy and you know being funny, being on time, and the hang are like the three things that people think about when booking you and if you don't hang yeah put in that FaceTime, like oh yeah just eating shit at the bar until 2 a.m and then going to the diner and then smoking weed in the parking lot and then drinking yep. more like yep. 
that hurts you in a way. Um, and it's something I feel like maybe you can do certain people it's different in certain times in your life. I was much better at it in my twenties and my thirties and tolerance is much lower for it. Yep. Yep. Cause uh -huh. the, well, there's also a difference in, uh, in sort of where you are in any given relationship, because, uh, if I'm with somebody that I enjoy being with, I don't want to hang out at the club until one in the morning, two in the morning after the show, or like you said, go to a diner. I want to go home and be with the person that I like being with. Right. Um, and so when it's easier when you're single, uh, when you're single, it's easier to do that because you think, Hey, maybe, we'll, maybe I'll meet somebody. Right. Maybe, maybe that cute guy at the bar or this hot girl at the fucking waitress of the, you know, Bob's big boys. Like, you know, you, you're like, you're more kind of looking around. So you, you tolerate it more, but then you meet somebody you like and you go like, I don't know. Why do I hang out with these, with these people, four fucking neck beard comics when I can be home with my hot girlfriend or boyfriend? <laughs> like, um, so that, that's part of it. That's definitely part of it. The hang is really part of it. And that's something that by the way, is not exclusive to stand up. That's a, I have struggled even in like, yeah, a lot, a lot of my big emotional hangups, uh, as a, as an actor or as a filmmaker are from the fact that I think that, um, I deal with like a, 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 a selective FOMO where I feel like I have been overlooked by friends. I often feel, and a lot of this is probably just bullshit and I'm just doing it to myself, you know, but uh, I, I can't acknowledge, I have to acknowledge the reality in my brain as far as the way it makes me feel. And I, I often yeah. feel like, I often feel like I get overlooked for, for parts or inclusion in projects or films. And then I realize the people who are getting it are the, are, oh, that's right. Those are the people that they go drink with. Those are the people who, who do the, you know, like that, that, and it's like, that's what it is. It's, it's, it, it's hmm. all the social aspect right. of, uh, of, uh, of networking plays such a huge part in stand up or entertainment industry. And I'm sure, you know what? Business in general, I guess now that I'm you mentioned sure it's, it. Sure, it's no different if you're a fucking contractor. Right. If you're, you know, if you're, if you're a site manager and you're building houses for a living, and you really like this electrician guy, you go get drunk with. Even if there's another electrician who's probably better for the job, maybe even a tiny bit cheaper, you're gonna hire your buddy who you go drinking with because that's fucking Dale. Dale and I just get drunk on Tuesday nights and go bowling. Like you know, like there's All right. That's a hard um, reality. So, so I think not, not drinking, not partaking is, is a big part of it. And I would try and I, and like, I would actively try to make it okay. You know, like <laughs> the other thing that I realized, I also realized in my late twenties, early thirties, I realized that if I stopped saying I don't drink and started saying I can't drink, people become slightly bit okay with it. Uh-huh. Um, I, I never psychology there. I never lied to anybody. I've never told anybody, oh, I have a big problem and I can't drink. I just changed a little bit of the verbiage and people just go like, oh, okay. Or like sometimes I just say like, no, I'm sober. And like I am, I'm sober, but people assume, oh, he must have had a big problem. Let me not, <laughs> let me not harp on right. it. And for um, some reason they're like, oh, he's he may not be cool now, but he used to be cool. So he's still kind of cool. Yeah. You know what? There's a little bit of that psychology that I would definitely, definitely play in. I would also... Uh, that is something that I learned very young. I, I didn't really do it. I didn't really do it to uh, uh, fellow stand-ups or actors or whatever, fellow or creative types. But I would always do it to bartenders. Anytime I would order a fucking sprite or whatever from a You're bartender, guilty, not giving them money, right? Or or what I would say, I would always just be like, "Hey man, can I get a sprite? I'm just I'm driving tonight." Because I was, 
Sometimes I was just driving myself around, but I was still driving. <laughs> and they would assume, they would be like, oh, okay, man, thank you. They, people would say thank you. They'd be like, oh, thank you, man. Like, we appreciate you being the and, and then they wouldn't charge you for thank whatever you soda service, you. Right? Yeah, they would. But they would also not charge you for whatever soda you were drinking that night. That's a hot tip for all our uh, all yeah. sober uh, yeah. bar hoppers or, out there. Or anybody who just wants free soda at a bar. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> like, just be like, yeah, I'm driving. Uh, damn. Well, what a journey. So you, you redefined. I like that because... Basically, I started this podcast because I wasn't sure if I wanted to quit or not. And right. I felt like I had to make that choice. Right. And then I realized I don't have to make that choice. Uh, it's more complicated than that. You can redefine your relationship with this thing without like nailing the door shut on it. Right. And eventually, stand up just becomes another thing that you can do. Yes. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's, another, it's another creative outlet for when you have room or need to flex that outlet or to, or to utilize that outlet. Mm. Cause I will say like, you know, it's now it's been this right now is definitely the longest I've ever gone without doing stand up. I think four years ago, what's it? 2021. I think a two. Yeah. Shit. Wow. Oh boy. Uh, late 2017. I think I might be getting my dates wrong. might be early 2017 or late 2016. Uh, a buddy of mine books, a, uh, a, 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 a show at a, a comic book store and um you know didn't realize that i had sort of waned away from stand-up and uh was just sort of like hey i got a spot open in the show just like reached out i haven't heard from him in the years like hey you want a spot on the show and i was like yeah sure great and i went and i you know did my 10 or 15 minutes of you know stupid comic book nerd material and talked about how superman's an asshole and whatever dumb bits i have and just you know and i was like great awesome i got to flex it and it was like super low pressure and you know like it was just a it was just a fun night. And, uh, and like, so I don't, I have, I'm not that person who's like, if somebody calls me up and has a thing for me, I'm going to go like, no, no, I don't do stand up anymore, but I'm not out here. Like I'm not hustling. I, the, I'm done with the hustle for stand up at the moment. It's just not, it's, you know, if a buddy of mine is recording a special and it's like, Hey, you want to come open for me because I'm recording a special and I'd like to, you'd be a part of that night. Yeah, sure. Great. Awesome. I'll come do that. I, I feel like I have enough material still like, you know, I've got, you know, however many years at this point, almost 20 years since I started, like the first time I ever did stand up, almost 20 years ago. And not to say that my material is 20 years old, but I've accumulated enough material to pull from throughout the years to where I'm like, oh, if I need a thing for this, like I can, you know, I can. Right. You got plenty of in sync jokes. And yeah, maybe, pull enough. You know. And there's enough crap going on on a day to day basis that, you know, it's easy enough, but. Right. That's a good place to be with it. Um, sure. And it seems that part of. Because some people have stand-up as the only artistic thing in their life. And then when that they lose that, they kind of don't know who they are or their identity or anything. Right. It seems like you were definitely cushioned um, sure. by the myriad of other artistic pursuits from music to film to acting. Um, so give us a little about how you transitioned to... Uh, you were telling me earlier you have a feature film, which super congratulations. Thank you. Thank um, you. Give us a little about like how you really shifted that focus. And uh, so, I mean, first of all, you decided to stay in L.A. Yes. Because yes. that, you know, that, well, you, you'll you tell me why. But Well, yeah. I mean, it, it was always the end game. Like, okay, I never again, I was even when I was in New York before I moved for the girl to Pensacola, I intended on going, going to Los Angeles because in my brain, that's where P 
people act. I love it. It's the natural all artists. You, to, yeah. you start in New York to, yep. to get, and then you go to Pensacola, Florida, as everybody knows. And then, <laughs> and then Tampa. Yeah. 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 Don't forget Tampa. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. But so, uh, so, so it was always the intention out here to be, to be out here, of course. Um, and you know, again, like I, I, I never wanted to just be a stand-up, so it's not so much as transitioning um, into it as much as it's just continuing to do the one thing and doing the other thing a little bit less. Uh -huh. um, so you know, uh, yeah, when I, when I was in Florida, I you know met some other like-minded uh, uh, filmmakery types, and I was like, you know what, I got an idea for a short film. I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot the short film because I was sick of all the. I was sick of the acting roles I was getting because they were all in student films that weren't good, <laughs> you know, like um, and like even the commercials, like I, I had fun doing some commercials that to this day I look back and I'm like, that's a good commercial that I was in. Like, but it was like a tiny little Tampa, you know, like, you know, local, whatever. Yeah. Um, so I was like, no, I want something that's like good that I can kind of flex. And I was like, well, you know what? I have this idea for a story. I'm just going to do it myself. So I did that myself and I kind of found I found that ability to like, oh. I know how to make something for no money. I know how to pull. I know how to. I know how to use my resources well. I feel like it's something that I've always been good at, and just because of the way that I was that kid in high school who always did stuff, who always was like, I'm in bands or I'm in this. Like, I became a self promotion machine early on. Like, I learned how to do web development just because my band needed a website. I learned how to do graphic design because as a kid, I always wanted to be a comic book artist. So I was really good at basic art stuff. But then I realized like, oh no, we need flyers. Let me learn how to like become proficient in Photoshop so I can make good flyers for my bands. And then that also translated right into stand-up flyers. When I got out to actually, oh my God, when I was working in Florida, every single, that was a job that I ended up getting just totally accidentally for like tons of clubs in Florida from side splitters to the improv. Oh yeah. Um, uh, uh, funny bone. Was it, was it, what was the one that was in the hotel? Is it the funny bone? There was coconuts. Coconuts. That's the one I'm thinking of. Thank you. Coconuts. Um, they all hired me to do all their flyer work because I was like the graphic design guy. So I could do like, you know, for whatever, whoever their feature was for the week. But anyway, so I had, had all to these... deal with coconuts was hideous, crazy logo of like, Oh my God. Fire floating pair of lips with like a it's weird hat and like creepy and the googly eyes. It didn't have like googly eyes. Oh God. It was terrifying. Not, not comfortable. It's like a cartoon version of what a, a business in Florida looks like. That's what the coconuts logo actually was. We're gonna, like it's, we're gonna flash it on screen for the viewers later. Great. Anyways, um, oh, what the fuck is I talking about? You oh yeah, the, the flyer transition. Guy, you got transitioning. All yeah. into so it. I had all these sorts of talents, and when I got to LA, it was just sort of more of the same. It was more of the like, oh, I'm not getting the roles I want, so. I started making short films with a, a buddy of mine. I met. Uh, I I worked on the final season of Twenty Four. And on that show, I met uh, these two gentlemen, one named Kenny Cooper and the other one named Tony Wayne. And the three of us became close creative types. And uh, so they're actually like they star in like the, my big featurette that I made out here, which is like this action adventure Indiana Jonesy thing called uh, the Skull Rosary. And then like I would just write for them and write more parts for them and just just keep doing stuff. And I'm at a point now where, you know, I've been out in L.A. now for going on 12 years and uh, you know, I'm still in the grind. I'm still doing it, but I'm not, you know, I'm not getting the guest star spots on TV and all the things that I find some of my cohorts doing. So it's about creating my own path. I'm realizing like, no, I'm going to continue to make my work and that'll be the way I, you know, I, I find success. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to end up this huge, you know, uh, renowned filmmaker. Um, but, you know, uh, one would hope at least that I, I can I, I attempt to have some semblance of a career that keeps me financially stable out of it. Uh, and so I'm just continue, continuing to do that. And I started a, a podcast network, Dragon Wagon Radio. 
Oh, yeah, tell us about finger. that. Um, it's just an indie podcast network uh, that I started with a buddy of mine, Zen Zenith, um, to just help be because of all those abilities that I have, which are all just like the production and presentational elements. You know, there's a bunch of people that I know that are like, oh, I have a podcast that I want to do, but I don't know how to make a podcast or I don't know, you know, where to record it or how to do it or how to make the art or how to whatever, how to present it. So it's like, uh, it's just, it's a, it's really just a creative collective that like, kind of flies under my banner in which I help all these people kind of with their shows. Um, cool. and you know, it's, it's all about like, it's not a money-making machine. Like, yeah, we sell t-shirts and we like have shops and stuff like that, but it's really just all about like helping other creatives and bringing everybody up, holding each other to a standard so that, um, instead of us all competing with one another, instead of it being like, oh, I also have a podcast. And so, uh, I don't know, like I have a podcast, like instead of it being about whether people should listen to your show or my show, that's the stupidest thing in the world. Everybody should listen to every, like we should all just be bringing each other up. And so that was sort of where Dragon Wagon Radio was stemmed from. It's, it stemmed from the need to uh, collectively bring everybody up uh, as a unit um, instead of all of these individual people just scrambling for their own slice of the pie, you know? That's a great... Um, um goal but what even the uh what do you call them shitty artists sure okay cool <laughs> um in their own uh okay in case we disconnect my cat is laying on my keyboard right now <laughs> nice. that's that's his job right isn't that the point of the cat i think we're okay yeah it's true um hurting her rent but uh i about the feature i would be remiss if i didn't use the opportunity just Please. to just shamelessly plug it so i uh in the same way that I was making short films and web series, uh, you know, I did we did this sketch show called The Board, all this fun stuff you can find if you just search for my crap. But, uh, you know, I was at a, I got invited to go do a literary festival in, uh, in uh, Missouri. No, Missouri? No. What was the name of that state next to Wisconsin? Minnesota. That's the place. Yeah. Um, many M1s too. I know, right? Just, it's all, it's just New York, Los Angeles, and then America in the middle. Um, but... <laughs> I went to go, you know, uh, be this like speaker for this literary festival because of the short film. And that whole weekend, I was telling all these college kids, like, you have no excuse to make something. You have no excuse to make something. You have no excuse to make something. And meanwhile, I had like three or four feature scripts that I'm like trying to sell and trying to get made. And I'm like waiting for somebody else to allow me to make a movie. And I'm, I kind of just, on the plane ride back, I was like, shit, I just got to take my own advice and just take one of these and just make it. So. Damn, you uh, get to take your own advice. You are dispensing, yeah. telling all these youngins, do what you love, do what you love. Meanwhile, you're right. like, when is Martin Scorsese going to call right. me back? Sure, yeah, seriously. I'm um, here. Oh, you got a cat too. I've spotted a oh, cat yeah. too. Oh, there's, yeah. Uh, there's, there's two of them walking around here. I, I knew it. That's Cody right there. Clancy's around here somewhere. Um, but, uh, so yes. anyways, so you anyways, said, yes. I'm doing it. So I said I'm doing it, and I, I, I took a, a feature script ID that I had, and I sort of adjusted it to make it shootable for no money with no crew. Um, and and the, the end result of that is uh, my debut feature film entitled Pinch, uh, which is available right now uh, via Amazon and Amazon Prime. Uh, it is a real heartfelt kind of feel-good story about uh, two strangers who are bought to get, uh, brought together by the opportunity to own a rare and valuable sports collectible. Uh, but in order to do so, they have to step out of their comfort zones and onto a baseball field. 
So it's uh, it's not a sports movie, but there's a little sports in it. Um, okay, good. You got, you almost lost me for a second. No, it's but... it's it's essentially what happens when the Sandlot grows up. That's that's sort of ah. the tagline for it. It's very much a grown up version of the Sandlot. Like um, so yeah, if you're into sort of the indie dramedy, um, shot entirely by myself with no crew, uh, macro budget, um, I could not be more proud of it. Micro, it's, yeah. Uh, uh, no, even smaller than that. Macro, even macro tinier. Smaller. I think so, isn't it? Do, isn't yeah. that how it works? I thought macro was big and micro was small. Listen, I'm not a word. I listen. I don't know about all sorts of definitions here. All right. <laughs> I'm all a right, filmmaker. Sure. Okay. What, whatever you said is what it is. <laughs> nothing. The answer is nothing. But very proud of it. And um, Pinch, uh, available yeah. on Amazon Prime or yep, Amazon can, uh, Direct. Amazon whatever. and and Amazon Prime. You can buy or rent it if you don't. Or if you aren't a Prime subscriber, if you're a Prime subscriber, you have it for free. Available here in the uh, in the UK as well. Oh, hell yeah. Well, we will definitely watch and encourage our people to watch that and support your film endeavors. I appreciate that. Um, what next? Um, well, um, I need a haircut because <laughs> the pandemic hair is getting a little out of control. Um, yours, yours works, though. Like, yours grows My up partner, and out. Luckily, I was getting a mean mullet. Yeah. And uh, she, she shored me up a little bit because, nice. I, yeah, I was getting rough. She she uh, she cut my hair in like April of 2020, and I was like, "We're not doing this again." <laughs> um, did not did not go so well, but my wait for a vaccine, sure. But um, I got my first. I got my first of the two. I had no. I didn't get like sick or anything, but oh my god, it felt like I had in. I could not use my arm for like 24 or 48 hours. I was just yeah. so only much to buy things from Microsoft. That's the only thing. I think it's. I think it's Microsoft. <laughs> um uh but <laughs> <Get> much bigger <laughs> but uh anyways uh what's next you know what uh the pandemic did definitely throw a huge monkey wrench in my plans uh but um i'm super proud of pinch i would do it all again mostly the same way um but i did it's i still learned and uh although i did not sell it to a giant uh distribution company um, it did not launch, you know, a, it did not all of a sudden spark a career for me. It has given me at least, you know, it's a, it's a rung up the ladder. I have a first feature underneath me. Um, and so, uh, I, what's next is likely just doing another one and probably doing it not wildly different, uh, doing it again on my own. Um, but I have a few literally, uh, I have, I have a notebook for every movie. Um, and so, so, uh, I working on a variety of different projects and, uh, the idea is I keep working through these until one of them, the light bulb goes off for like, no, I know how, I know how we can shoot this and we can make this work. And so that's, that's, what's next is, uh, trying to get my second feature going and, uh, learning from, uh, you know, the mistakes I made while making pinch and growing it and making it better. And, uh, maybe, you know, hopefully making it something that's slightly more sellable because as much as I love the story of Pinch, it was definitely a very brash lesson in film distribution and in sales uh, and in sales and acquisitions because, man, when you make a non-genre piece with no big names in it, it doesn't matter how pretty it is or how beautiful or how much you'll cry at the end. It, it, it's really, it's just a tough sell. Wow, so, non-genre. Uh, yeah, like, because you know what it is? Is genre translates overseas. Horror, action, sci-fi, it translates universally, but drama does not translate. You you can't necessarily throw a foreign language over genre and have all of it, 
match quite the same and and you know so there, there was definitely some struggles in trying to get the movie sold and hopefully i'm going to learn from those mistakes and uh you know uh, still still be true to myself still make the art that i want to make and tell the stories i want to tell i'm actually really really excited about the the three that i kind of have in the docket right now they're three really personal stories much like pinch was a very very personal story with a lot of my real life put into it um these all have one facet of my my very real life turned up quite a bit for each individual mm. kind of tale so that's what's that's what's next continuing to do that to do that and still doing the podcast network dragon wagon radio you can find all of our great podcasts at dragonwagonradio.com we've got so many fun shows i've got a personal show that's not wildly dis, uh different to this where i sit down with like-minded creatives and chat that show is called elaborate we do a uh a, like a, a homebrew rpg show that uh so we, we play like a and d inspired homebrew rpg and then we we edit it down um, and sort of like punch it up and uh, sound design it. So instead uh, of it being like other D and D shows where you're just hearing a bunch of people all chatter around and talk over each other, when by the time you hear it, it's just like listening to a radio play. Cool. Like it's you, you, it's you. Once we clang, start, clang. Yeah, once, yeah, but but not just that, but also like you're just in the world with the characters. Like you don't hear cross talk, you don't hear us yapping to each other, or saying dumb inside jokes that nobody gets. Like. So that one's really fun too, and uh, we got you know we have tons of stuff uh, on the network. We've got like twenty something shows at this point in the archive. Good, and so uh, dragonwagonradio.com. Yep, dragonwagonradio.com. Hell yes, everyone check out that. Check out Pinch on Amazon. Um, we are rounding third base, headed towards home. You've been very generous with your time, and this has been a great. Uh, I'm going to have to. I'm be doing very little editing on this episode, which is always <laughs> always a treat. Great. Um, any final, uh, let's see. Uh, are you still a comedian? Man, I, I knew you were going to ask this question. I fucking <laughs> knew it. So that's I, that might be the biggest struggle for me, uh, more so than whether I acknowledge that I'm not doing it anymore, is whether I, I allow myself to call myself that. What is a comedian in 2021? Um, if... If uh, people consider um, Bill Hader a comedian, then yeah, I'm a comedian. Um, but if it's strictly the person who does stand-up comedy, um, then I don't know if 2021 I, I call myself a, an active comedian. I, I might call myself a uh, a once comedian. But that's a distinction there because you might still be a comedian, but you might not be a stand-up comedian. Maybe. Maybe not sure, but you still. Can I just say? Are. Can I say? Can I say? Can I say? Um, I'm a once and future comedian. <laughs> can I say that? Because 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 then I'm then I'm both honest and a, and potentially a liar, but I don't know yet. It's Ooh. like Schrodinger's cat. There's the question for you. Am I a comedian? I don't know. Is the cat alive or dead? <laughs> it's a Schrodinger situation. It's, it's definitely you know if you were a plumber for ten years and then you stopped fixing right. toilets, like right, you, you can still plumb. Right. Yeah. I I don't know. I, I I'm. I'm inclined to say that I am, um, but I'm also from the school of stand-up that knows I will get ridiculed for saying so. <laughs> but I don't know that I care anymore. I think uh, as I as I creep towards forty, I don't care what people call me. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, th yeah, I think I'm. A, yeah, I'm a stand-up. Those same New York style people would bust be anxious to bust those Hollywood balls. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? How many other? <laughs> never. Never mind. I'm gonna save that statement. Um. Yes, I'm a stand-up. <laughs> 
of the we're fire some shots here, but we're gonna sheath our weapon. Yeah, yeah, I did. I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying not to be the porcupine, man. Try not to be the porcupine. We're bringing out the uh, the cute little echidna inside of you. Oh man, where the back feet look like the front feet, and they're walking the weird direction. Wait, you're still spiky, but they don't hurt. <laughs> I love it. Exactly. Well, fantastic, brother. Um, this was such a naturally flowing interview. I barely had to glance at my question sheets. Uh, thanks. Uh, hopefully, Thank you, it'll man. be quicker than eleven years before we uh, talk <laughs> sure. again. And also, Art if you need an almost uh, identical-looking person with a extremely similar skill set for any of your films, <laughs> <laughs> there's absolutely no reason to call me. But um, no, 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 no. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, day, yeah, you know who knows. Cool. Thanks again for your time, Jake. Uh, Absolutely, man. Appreciate you. Uh, take care and, and uh, yeah, be in touch. Dragon yeah, we'll wagon. talk soon, man. All right, bro. Thanks, bud. Oh, and thanks. What a great interview. I imagine this was recorded before it happened. But thank you so much for being here, everybody. Uh, please follow us on YouTube at my uh, YouTube channel, Daniel Reskin. You can find all the pod there and all the videos. And we're on iTunes as well. Spread the word um, and be your own friend. Stop, stop beating up on yourself, all right? Sometimes quitting is a good thing. Or just pausing or whatever. You don't even have to put words on it, okay? Have a great one, bye.